You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. And thank you for your work and your labor in such a needy area. Thank you, brother. Well, it is a blessing uh, to be back with you here this evening, and my wife, Julie, we've been married for 35 years, if you can believe that, and uh, I know some of you are saying, well, Brother Thomas, you look way too young to be married for 35 years, right? It's because we got married in the third grade, all right? That's how that uh, worked out. But no, the Lord has had us serving in Ukraine, and uh, we actually had moved there. We were living in Kiev, and we saw things beginning to happen, and we were getting warnings from different folks about the potential of an invasion and then that invasion took place. What I would like to do tonight is share with you some photos uh, from our ministry, what we were doing right before the war, and then what's taken place transpired after the war. So guys, do we have those pictures ready to go? And uh, by the way, there's our prayer card. We have some, if you'd like one, we'd welcome you to get one from us after the service to pray for us. Next slide. And here you see a, a young girl holding the heart with the blue and the yellow, the colors of the Ukrainian flag. Anyone know what those colors stand for? Blue and the yellow. Blue stands for the heaven above, and the yellow is for the sunflowers or the wheat harvest below. Ukraine was considered the breadbasket of the former Soviet Union, one of the top producers of sunflower oil and sunflower products in the world, as well as uh, grain, wheats and grains, different types of grains. Next slide. You can see a grandmother out in the field there working. You see the smile. And I would say, in general, Ukrainians are very joyful people, easygoing people. Uh, in their churches, they love to sing. You'll hear some of the best music there uh, in churches as they sing and you hear them singing God's praises. Next uh, slide. You see the city of Kiev. Anybody want to guess how old the city is there? It is about 2,000 years old. Can you believe? That's an old city, very beautiful city, ancient city. There is a saying that Kiev is the mother of Moscow. So it is quite a bit older uh, than Moscow and then Russia. Go ahead and go to the next photo there. Here you can see the church, Living Hope Baptist Church uh, of Kiev, and we began the work right before COVID, and it was very fascinating doing a church plant during COVID times. I'm sure you experienced some of that here, going through some of the shutdowns and all the different things we got to experience during that time. Well, it was pretty hard, and we had these multiple times. We had to stop the work, sometimes for months on end. But finally, this past year, we were able to get about eight months in a row without any stoppages, and God was really doing a neat work. Well, on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, we had a Ukrainian-Russian service, and then at 12 o'clock, we had an international service in English. And you can see uh, many different colors of skin there. Uh, The guy who's right next to me uh, in the center there on my right, your left, he is from Pakistan. And uh, he was very excited. He was saying, Brother Thomas, Pastor, we need to take what you're preaching to Pakistan. The Pakistani people need to hear what you're preaching. And I said, well, here, let me give you Pastor Reynolds' email address right over here. He would love to go to Pakistan and visit there with you, Arslan. Uh, Right next to him is a young man uh, named Shrish from uh, India. And uh, Shrish began coming. We had a number of university students that came. And uh, he had uh, never held a Bible before until we gave him a Bible. That was the first time he had ever touched a Bible. And he started coming very faithfully. Praise God, he made a decision for Christ. And uh, we praise God, he had been Hindu and all the rest of it. We praise God for him. And then on his right, your left, next to Shrish, is a young man from China by the name of Jack. And uh, Jack, it was amazing to see God working in Jack's life. So we praise God for the church there and what the Lord did in our time there. Uh, it was just really an awesome time, which, which we just give God praise. Go ahead and go to the next photo here. See a lady there, uh, Tanya. She did not, in the middle there next to Julie, she did not come to church until she was invited for the third time. And then the third time she was invited, she finally came. A few weeks later, she started coming then every Sunday once she started coming. Then there was a Sunday she prayed to receive Christ. Then there was a few Sundays after that, she was speaking to Julie, and she said, you know, before my salvation, uh, I didn't care to sing. I didn't have any desire to sing. She said, but now I just love singing. I just can't sing enough. And of course, we know 
the Lord puts a song in your heart, right? So it was neat to see the Lord do that work in her life and to see her following Christ. Next uh, slide there, guys. I want you to, if you would, to remember this young man in prayer. His name is Dima. That is his wife, Erica, their little baby, Abigail. Dima has now moved to Kiev, and he's now overseeing the work there, Living Hope. I was just sharing with Pastor. Uh, last Sunday, I got a report from him. I think it was 14 first-time visitors came last Sunday to the church service. This Sunday, he sent pictures. They had even more visitors this Sunday uh, that came to church. So during the war, I'm going to talk about it in a moment, really things are getting stirred up, and people are looking for truth. They're wanting to hear. They're needing hope. And uh, so it's really neat. Pray for Dima as he is doing a wonderful job. Next slide. Uh, here you can see the main purpose that we went to Ukraine was to oversee the Slavic Baptist Institute. We just celebrated 25 years of ministry, and I uh, praise God for our institute, for our students, for graduates, for those that are faithfully serving God. Next slide. Uh, you can see the 1040 window. The reason I'm showing you that is if you see Turkey right there, uh, kind of the left center, above Turkey is the Black Sea. Right above the Black Sea is Ukraine. And so look how Ukraine geographically just sits right on the precipice of the 1040 window, including Central Asia. And one of the things that God gave us the great privilege of doing was a few summers ago, we took some men from our institute. We went to the country of Tajikistan. We were able to serve there and hold a camp there for some young people. We saw some decisions that week for Christ. A couple of our young men are actually praying about going there as missionaries. And Tajikistan is considered 96, 97% unreached with the gospel. That doesn't mean 3% have heard the gospel. It means 3% have the potential to hear, but about 96, 97% no potential to hear the gospel. So it is a tremendously needy area. Go ahead and go to the next photo here, and you can see that was from our, our camp time that we had there in Tajikistan. But also, next slide, guys. Uh, this is from the country of Laos. And uh, God, I was sharing with Pastor, the Lord opened a door to Laos and through a Ukrainian national and we now have a Lao Bible Institute, and we're praising God for the Laotians and for what God is doing there in Laos as well. You just never know how God is going to lead when God leads you. It's just amazing the doors that he opens. Next slide. All right, here we see Ukraine right before the war began, and you can see the buildup of the, the troops, Russian troops on the outside of Ukraine. Notice down there in the Black Sea again south, you see Crimea as it's striped, it is, was already occupied by Russia, as well as an area called Donbass in that southeastern corner of Ukraine in 2014. So really the war between Ukraine and Russia started in 2014. It just hit a whole nother level of intensity February 24th of this year. We began to see the troop buildup on the east side of the country, but when it became very serious for us is when we saw them crossing over up north of Ukraine north of Kiev into Belarus, and Russia was sending many troops, many weapons. They were bringing them from the far eastern parts of Russia all the way over and placing them there, and that's when it became evident to us that an invasion was imminent. Go ahead and go to the next uh, photo. Here are some pictures, and as you see these pictures, if you were to remove the color from the pictures, you would think you were looking at pictures from World War II, and the destruction is just terrible. Uh, in some of these areas. In fact, I heard a lady interviewed from Kharkiv, and she said, you know, I've studied World War II. And uh, she said, during World War II, when Mr. Putin bombed Kharkiv, he had respect for our historical buildings, and he left those buildings alone. But Mr. Putin, no, he's just bombed everything. And it's true. He's, I think he's wanting just to destroy their wills, destroy their culture. And I, I was thinking, you know, it's pretty hard to get on a list where you're worse in something than Mr. Uh, Hitler was, but Mr. Putin's working on that. Go ahead and go on the next one here. And uh, there you can see in Mariupol, this was a maternity ward that was bombed. If you can believe that, you see this pregnant woman. They're carting her out. I'm sad to report she died about a week, few days later, as well as the baby in her womb. Uh, just difficult things. Next photo. Uh, here you see a father. This was just from a couple of weeks ago. His child is underneath the, the mat there, uh, had been killed. See the father holding his son's hand. Uh, just again, very hard. Next photo. Uh, here you can see some buildings. This is from that northwest 
area of Kiev region where the Russians had come down from Belarus and came right up to the edge of downtown Kiev. And uh, some of those cities and uh, suburbs on that side were just bombed like this. These apartment buildings would hold anywhere between 500 to 1,000 people each. It's estimated that somewhere around 12 million uh, Ukrainians are homeless. They are, they've been displaced from their homes. So if you can imagine, I just got a, a note from the UN, an email, uh, and it stated, the UN is stating that they're estimating 17.7 million people in Ukraine are in need of aid. So it is really a, a humanitarian crisis. Like, I, I don't know if personally in my lifetime anything that's been that great. Next photo, uh, and you again, you just see the damage. And this just goes on and on. Homes that have been bombed, civilian targets is what they were. Next photo, uh, you can see the car graveyard. This is in the area of Irpin, uh, which sits right next to Bucha. I don't know if you remember hearing about Bucha and the dead bodies that were there in the street. They still are finding mass graves uh, during that time of Russian occupation of those that were killed. Next, next photo here. Uh, a few Sundays ago, we were in Kiev, and I was in my office on a Sunday morning at about uh, 6.15, 6.30. I heard explosions. I looked out through my office window, and north in the center part of the city, uh, I saw the smoke coming up where apartment building had been hit by just random missiles. And truly, there's, there's no place that's ultimately safe in Ukraine. Uh, we were driving back from that uh, northwest region back into Kiev, the city, and when we came into the city that, that evening, we crossed over a bridge. Well, later that night, that bridge detonated and exploded. Uh, we were in a city in western Ukraine that we had driven through in the afternoon. That evening, a missile hit and uh, killed some people. So, I mean, it, it just goes on and on. We were in an area of Chernev Sea, and uh, we were right next to the Moldovan border and Romanian border. And there was a church there that was keeping refugees from the east uh, there. And we went there to preach to them and see how their ministry was going. And that night heard the sirens going off. You can imagine warning you of impending missiles. And this happens uh, quite often in Ukraine. Again, doesn't matter really if you're in eastern Ukraine, those missiles can hit at any time and hit anywhere. I wanted to read to you something. Uh, that one of our young ladies wrote me. I wrote her and I asked, how are things going there? And this was right on a Monday after she had gone through a Sunday. I want you to listen to what she wrote. She stated, hello, for now we are safe. We've had two services today. We can hear sirens very often, but God never gets tired of protecting us. He is especially good to us. Everything we do is praying, singing, and waiting for God's second coming. And I have found that in the churches in Ukraine, uh, there is, in essence, I believe, a revival that's taking place. That church we were in in Chernev Sea uh, when we were down there, that night when the sirens went off, they had a service that evening, and the service was almost full. I mean, it was just a Friday night service they were holding, and, uh, and they were singing, and they sang with great fervency. I mean, if you were faced with the possibility of death, you know what you begin to do? You begin to draw nearer to the Lord. And the things of this earth, they start getting strangely dim, right? And I just want to be close to my Jesus because I might be seeing him anytime soon here. And so they're singing with this great fervency. That evening when they prayed, they had corporate prayer after the message that night, and uh, they prayed with great fervency. You could tell there was a stirring going on in the hearts of, of believers in Ukraine. And so if, if this war has done anything, we have seen it stirring hearts there for the glory of God, not only among the saved, but even among the lost. And we're going to share with you more about that in a moment. Go ahead and go to the next photo here. This lady right here, I just wanted to share with you, we were in her village area, and we had preached the gospel, we had given out aid, and she invited us to come to her home just to share with us what her experience had been. And so she began to tell us the story of the Russian tanks and the missiles that were coming and dealing with the Russian soldiers that they had to deal with. Go ahead and go to the next photo here. That is her home after the missiles hit it, completely destroyed. She said that she saw a missile hit her nephew. She saw her nephew disintegrate right in front of her eyes. She looked back to the house. She saw her grandson coming out. 
She said he was missing his arm as he came out of the house. One of the nephews, I believe, laid over another one, a child to protect it, and was killed. I mean, it just goes on and on what some of these people have gone through. And uh, it is a, war is a terrible thing, and it's just hard to imagine man can be so cruel and so merciless, but that is what's taking place right now in Ukraine. Go ahead and go to the next photo here. Here you see a man weeping, crying, probably saying goodbye to his family. Uh, if you're between the ages of 18 and 60 and a male, uh, you cannot leave the country. You have to stay uh, to be prepared to fight. Uh, they're under martial law. If you are a woman who is a doctor or a nurse now, they're not allowing you to leave either because they need all hands on deck for their hospitals and what is taking place there among their people. Go ahead and go to the next one. Here you can see some of our men from our Bible Institute, and also there right next to me in the center is Sergey. He is the president, uh, director of our charitable fund, uh, Living Hope for Ukraine. And uh, what, what we began doing when the war started was we were looking for ways that we could be a blessing to people and at the same time, not only sharing the love of God through acts of grace, but also the gospel of Christ, the greatest act of God's love, Calvary. And so with, with these men uh, located in different areas of, of Ukraine and others, we are helping to distribute aid to them with the hope and prayer that it gives them a platform to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these men have been very faithful in doing that. In fact, the man right there in the center next to Sergei, to the right of Sergei, his name is Pablo Parfanuk. He is on our staff of Slavic Baptist Institute. He pastors a church in Northwest Kiev region. And early on, before the war started, he wrote to our students and he wrote to others and he stated, listen, is this a war or is this gonna be a rumor of war? He said, I don't know, but I do know this. Christ has told us to preach the gospel. Let us be faithful through it all to continue preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Pablo has proven true to that. He has continued, no matter the difficulties, to preach that gospel. Go ahead and go to the next photo, fellas. Here you can see a map of the country. Uh, in the upper left is Lutz, the, the city of Lutz. That's where our charitable fund is located. Think of it as like a distribution point. We're about a two-hour drive from the Polish border. And so we have things that come in through Poland, we have aid comes in through Poland, but also we're able to still buy things in Ukraine. Uh, and we are doing that when we can, usually it's cheaper to buy in Ukraine, but then from there, we distribute it to those various points across the map. Uh, some are refugee centers we're distributing to, some are churches we distribute to, and then the churches take it out to the villages on the very edge of where the war areas are, or areas that are considered uncontrolled by either country at this point, especially there on the east. But we've been able to deliver up to this point, help deliver about 870 tons of aid. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, here you can see at the, uh, in Lutsk, at the camp that we have there, it was a Christian camp, but we have converted it, or are in the process of converting it, and to, to go through the winter because we have about 100 refugees that now call this home. So we, we are there, we are ministering to these. Most of these are from the eastern parts of Ukraine. Next photo, you can see here some children uh, that are from there. Uh, can you imagine how their worlds have been just turned absolutely upside down as they now live? They're not at home anymore, not in their schools anymore. They're here in this uh, refugee center uh, that we have for them there. Uh, but it is, uh, kids are sweet no matter where they are, but, but pray for them. Pray for their parents, pray for peace in Ukraine to come soon. We also have churches uh, that have taken uh, refugees into their churches. One of the previous pastors there, he has about 40 refugees in his church he, that live there just all the time. They, they bathe there, they sleep there, they eat there. Uh, he's had up to about 120 refugees at one time passing through there trying to get further to western Ukraine or into the west. Go ahead and go to the next photo. Here you can see some of our drivers, and uh, these men have risked their lives driving into different areas. Uh, the one I really wanted to share you with you about is over my right shoulder there. His name is Vlad. He owned a trucking company. He gave us two of his five-ton trucks that we could use to deliver aid. Uh, but Vlad himself was not saved. 
but yet he wanted to help, and uh, he would even go with the loads. Uh, but on this night, God allowed us to, to preach the gospel, and Vlad that night came forward with tears in his eyes to receive Christ. Go ahead and go to the next photo here, and you can see Vlad that next morning. He told me, he said, it feels like something has changed in my heart. And of course, we know what that is, right? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So praise God for that. Go ahead and go to the next one here. Uh, these are some of the opportunities now that we have where people will gather out on the streets. You'll tell them, you'll come to these previously occupied areas. We'll just share that we're coming by at this time. You'll have anywhere from 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 people that will gather out on the street. We'll have a couple of songs, and then we'll have about a 20-minute uh, gospel presentation. And then we'll give out New Testaments, and then we'll give out aid. Go ahead and go to the next one. Here you can see another area. Uh, same thing. In fact, the people in this picture uh, wrapped all the way back around here uh, to the left as they were there to hear. Just a great group that showed up. Same thing. Music, preaching the gospel, giving New Testament, giving out aid. And we're seeing people respond to the gospel. Go ahead and go to the next one. Here you can see some men that, uh, another area where we gave out New Testaments. Notice the colors of the New Testaments, the colors of the Ukrainian flag are on the outside, but already looking at the New Testaments that they were giving. Next one here. Uh, this lady right here, her name is Oksana. I wanted you to hear what she said because she said something very interesting when we came to her street. She said, you know, before the war, I was an atheist, but now I find myself praying to God. And she was under Russian occupation for about 34 days. She said, thank you for coming. Please come back and tell us more. And that day she took a New Testament. So do you see how even the hardest of hearts, if you will, they're looking for something, right? They, they, they need hope, and there's no hope in this world, is there? And this war is just kind of stripping that false facade of religion or, or uh, self-understanding away. Go ahead and go to the next one. I want to share this group of ladies right here. The one there on the far left, uh, Maria, she had uh, received Christ in just a street evangelism that we did. But this evening, in a neighboring village to where they live, we held an evangelistic meeting. And uh, we had a good group that showed up that night. But here we see this woman back there next to Julie, on the right of Julie. Her name is Luda. And the reason I wanted to share with you was, again, just to give you kind of a window into the Ukrainian heart. But where she was, again, the area had been occupied by the Russians. Uh, she went through, heard the bullets flying over, the missiles flying over as Ukraine and Russia were uh, battling. Uh, after that, when we went to her village, her area, preached the gospel, she wanted to make sure that I understood that they had an Orthodox church in her village. And I remember her specifically showing me that. And what she was saying by that is, look, we're also Christian. There's our church. And she's pointing to the Orthodox church. Now, Orthodox church is Christian in name only. They're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would teach a works-based salvation. You have to earn God's mercy or God's grace by how you live your life, by keeping religious traditions and good works and so forth. Next time, or actually, we invited her that day to an evangelistic meeting in this neighboring church. She came that night, heard the gospel again, and I specifically went to her after the service, and I said, Luda, do you have Christ? And she said, no, I don't. So you can tell she's beginning to recognize that what we're sharing and what we have is something different from what she has. She didn't want to make a decision that night, but really began to pray for her. And I began to ask others to, to pray for her. We came back again to her street, preached the gospel, came back another time to her street, preached the gospel, invited her again to an evangelistic meeting in that neighboring church. And she came and that night during the invitation, she came forward to receive Christ. I asked her the same question afterwards. I said, Luda, do you have Christ? And she said, yes, I do, and uh, pounded on her chest. And others came forward that night as well. So God is working. Uh, the refugee, the church uh, in uh, Kmelinsky that has uh, keeping refugees in the church, guess where those 40 refugees were today? They were in the services today of that local church. Most of those people are lost. Uh, I've been there, and uh, I've seen some refugees uh, come to Christ. In fact, we were there one Friday evening, the night before a refugee had come to Christ with the pastor. That night, two came forward during the service. 
a man came forward after the service and told the pastor he wanted to receive Christ. We went on because we had to leave early the next day to go back to Kiev. Uh, but the pastor wrote later that night, he said five more refugees came to Christ. So God is working. Listen, it's a horrible time. I mean, uh, it's just to hear some of the stories and things that people are going through. But it's better they go through this and get saved, right? Than never to go through this and never get saved. And I've just wondered, maybe in America we don't need something like this to begin shaking the foundation of folks so that we begin seeking God and seeking peace with God. Go ahead and give us the next photo here. This is some of the loads of aid that we've sent out over the last couple of weeks. Again, this is a five-ton truck, so we can get uh, five metric tons of aid. Uh, these would be non-perishables like canned meat and uh, flour, sugar, uh, pastas, different things like that. Uh, it's about $7,000. We'll, sh we'll ship this to these different areas, and then they'll distribute the food in the areas uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next photo here shows the, shows the truck and one of our, our drivers there uh, who drives it across the country. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, here you see this picture. This was from just last Friday in the city of Kharkiv. Do you see how long that line is? And this day all we're giving out is bread. But yet, look at the line of people lined up just for bread. Uh, the week before this, I was told they were lined up for two hours. 800 people lined up for two hours for one loaf of bread. So things are starting to get more and more desperate. And uh, my major concern is this winter. What's going to happen this winter? How are they going to stay warm? What about the food in some of these areas? And so, folks, just pray and give it to the Lord. Next photo. These are all from last Friday, and uh, they're in Kharkiv. But the good news is, with the, the aid that went out, the gospel went out. And so these folks got to hear the gospel, got to receive New Testaments and so forth. Next photo. One of my favorite parts of ministry has been the opportunity that God has given to go into multiple hospitals and to speak to hundreds of wounded Ukrainian soldiers. And here you see a soldier in a bed and uh, usually what I say when I come in is, my name is Derek Thomas, I'm from America. I want to thank you for fighting for the freedom of Ukrainian people and for fighting for the freedom of the world. And I really believe that if Mr. Putin takes Ukraine, he's already written what his plan is. He's not just wanting Ukraine. Ukraine's kind of the first step. <laughs> he wants other countries in Europe as well. And uh, so for Europe to think that's not going to happen, they, they're really... Uh, putting their head in the sand and, and not really reading what he is stating. But these men, to a man, they, they don't begrudge what they've done. Most of them, if not all, have stated, I want to get back. I want to get back to fighting. I want to get back to my brothers. I want to get back to uh, fighting for Ukraine. But here you see this man with a camouflaged New Testament that we were able to give with the gospel. Next photo, you can see this was in a hospital there uh, in the Kiev region. And again, we were able to meet with soldiers. We had actually a, a gospel meeting here with a great group, and then afterwards we were able to, to talk with them and share with them more specifically about their needs and about the gospel of Christ. So just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. So next photo, uh, pray for Ukraine. Uh, pray for the pastors of Ukraine to have wisdom. Uh, many of the churches, you can imagine, with uh, that many refugees, folks that have fled from certain areas. Uh, some church, I saw a pastor was showing pictures. It looked like his church. He had like maybe 19 people left in his church. Maybe pre-war they were somewhere around 100 to 120, I'm not sure. But many that had left and that had gone away. And so you can imagine the difficulty of that. The church that's in Deemer, they were somewhere running around 80 or so before the war. Now they're down to about 25. But the pastor shared with me uh, that they have anywhere around 40 to 50 lost people every Sunday that are coming to services. So pray for, for grace, for power, for wisdom. Pray for the Ukrainian believers to have a boldness to take this opportunity and share Christ. Uh, pray for men that have to make certain decisions about their families. Some men have been away from their wives. Uh, we have a young man named Vitaly, a student at our institute, who is driving uh, aid. We're, we're helping, but he's, he's got older people in that Kharkiv region 
where the, the uh, drugstores are closed, where people can't go to the drugstore, they can't get out of their homes, there's no public transportation, and he will buy the drugs that they need, the medicines they need, and he will take it to them and deliver to them, also helping with aid, also helping to get people out if they have to be uh, taken out. But his wife and children left at the beginning of the war. They got them to Germany to safety, and he's been apart from his wife now for about five months or so. And uh, so you can imagine how, how difficult that would be being away from family. Listen, I, I wouldn't want my, my wife or if I had any girls in my family, I wouldn't want them near any of the Russian soldiers. If you've read some of the things that take place, just very, very terrible things. I don't blame them for getting their wives and children to safety, but how he can't leave the country legally. So how do you go see your wife and how does that work out? So difficult things. Next photo here. You can see the Ukrainian flag upside down. What does that mean when a flag is upside down? It means distress. And Ukraine right now is in distress and again, needs your prayer. And next photo, pray for us. We have a fund called Compassion for Ukraine. And uh, through this funding, we're able to help fund the uh, refugee camp there in Lutsk, as well as these other efforts of uh, sending aid into these various parts of Ukraine, again, with the hope and the thought of using that as a platform to proclaim the greatest act of God's love, and that is the cross of Calvary. So a lot to pray for. I'm not Franklin Graham, and this is not Samaritan's Purse. My heart is evangelism and church planting and training of nationals, but it is what it is right now, and God has blessed and opened doors, and we praise him for it. I thank you this evening for your faithful support and for your prayers as a church family. It's a, it's a joy to serve the Lord with you, and we thank you for your faithfulness this evening. And I wanted to share with you just for a moment from the Word of God, and if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians and the third chapter and verses 1 and 2. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter number 3 and verses 1 and 2. And here, in verse number 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it, as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the faithfulness of this church to partner with us. What a blessing that they have been. Lord, we just ask tonight for a greater understanding of your word and a greater understanding of our part in world missions that can be fulfilled through our prayer ministries. And Lord, we will give you the glory and praise for it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Pray for us. And you know, it's amazing as you look through the New Testament, the number of times that Paul asks for prayer. He does it in Colossians. He does it in Ephesians. He does it in the book of Romans. If you believe Paul wrote Hebrews as I do, he does it in the book of Hebrews. He's specifically asking them to pray for him and for specifically here really his missions ministry. In the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, when he writes to the church in Corinth, he says, you helping together by prayer for us. So as the church in Corinth was praying for Paul, they were helping Paul. In the book of Romans, the 15th chapter, he encourages them, in fact, he pleads with them to strive together with him in their prayers to God for him. And that word to strive is a word which was used to speak of athletic team competitions where that team would work together. He's saying, work together with me in your prayers to God for me. So as we labor and work in prayer with our missionaries, we are in actuality laboring with them in their fields of ministry. And listen, Paul knew that God had called him to a great task. I mean, to preach the gospel to all the world is a great task, right? Whatever country you're taking the gospel to, it's going to be a great task. And it's going to require the hand of God to accomplish that mission. And prayer engages God. Prayer brings the face and hand of God upon that life and that ministry. And listen, without him, we can do nothing. We must have him. And Paul knows that. 
That's why Paul is seeking the prayers of God's people. You know, have you ever thought about it this way, that when you pray, when the believer prays, all three persons of the Godhead are engaged? Think about that. God the Father welcomes us to come to his throne of grace. In fact, he tells us we can come boldly to his throne of grace. So when we come in prayer, we're coming to the Father. The Father receives our prayer. What does the Son do when we're praying? Well, the Son gives authority to our prayer because we're not coming in our own authority when we come before that throne of grace. We're coming with King Jesus, right? The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is right there with us. His blood, His righteousness gives authority to our prayer. So the Son gives authority to the prayer. What is the Spirit of God doing when we pray? He's perfecting our prayer. You ever felt like, well, I just didn't pray the way I wanted to pray. I, I couldn't communicate it the way I wanted to communicate it. You know what, Christian, don't worry about that. Just pray from your heart to the Lord the best you know how and know this, that the Spirit of God is perfecting your prayer. In fact, he's communicating it at the throne of grace with words that we can't even physically utter. So when we pray, all three persons of the Godhead are active. And I believe that that's why Satan uh, battles so hardly to keep Christians from praying. I know that when I pastored uh, back in the Kansas City area, you know, you can get people to come to a Bible study and you can get them to come to your services. But when you had prayer services, it was a lot harder to get Christians to come just for the specific purpose of praying. I think Satan fights that very greatly. Well, here Paul is saying, listen, finally, brethren, pray for us. But note specifically what he's asking prayer for. Verse number one, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have what? May have free course. That, that the gospel would be unhindered. Do you know there's an enemy to the gospel? Do you know there's an enemy? His name is Satan. He wants to hinder the gospel from being preached. He doesn't want the gospel to be preached. So he works to hinder that gospel. How does he hinder the gospel? Well, he might use the fear of man, uh, the fear of consequences. He might use governments to try to hinder the gospel. But he works in various ways to hinder the gospel. Do you know we have a tool? God has given us an instrument to overcome Satan. What is that instrument? It's prayer. And we can come before the throne of grace and we can bow before our God. And as Paul uh, communicates it in the book of Colossians, pray for open doors of utterance. Pray for God to open doors. God, allow the gospel to be preached. You know what? We can be praying that in our personal lives. God, tomorrow, as I go about my day, open doors of utterance for me. Let the gospel have free course through my life tomorrow. God, use me to communicate this gospel and give me open doors. You know, isn't it amazing today? I'm reading a book right now on missions, and the author makes the point, which I, I think he's uh, right on in what he's saying, but he estimates that around 40% of the world's population is unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 40%. So what is there, 7.6, 7.8 billion people in the world? 40% have no opportunity to hear the gospel. And then he goes on to state, about 29% have never heard a clear gospel presentation. Folks, that's about 70% either unreached or that have never heard a clear gospel presentation. I pastored back in Kansas City. You think, well, Kansas City, heart of the Bible Belt. Surely everybody's heard the gospel there. You know what? It's, they hadn't. I have a good friend from Topeka, Kansas. He grew up Catholic. I think he told me he was 34 years old until he finally heard the gospel. I preached that in a church. Another woman came to me also from Missouri. She said, you know what? I was 40 years old before I ever heard the gospel. How can it be 2,000 years after Christ gave the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to preach it to every nation, every ethnic group, to preach it to every creature, how can it be that 70% have not heard that gospel? Let me give you an interesting fact. 
Coca-Cola has been around for about 135 years. Wherever I've traveled in Laos, wherever I've traveled in Ukraine, wherever I've traveled in different missions areas and trips where I've gone, I don't care how small the village, how small the little kiosk or store might be, I can always find Coca-Cola. And it's estimated that about 95, 4 or 5% of the world recognize the Coca-Cola label. So my question is, how did Coca-Cola get to 95% of the world, but the gospel of Jesus Christ has only made it to about 30% of the world? How can that be? In two, and we've had how much more time to get the job done, right? Folks, we better start praying for these open doors. We need to start praying that the word of the Lord would have free course. What's another hindrance to the gospel? How about a lack of laborers? Do we have a lack of laborers in the world today? Oh, man. We need laborers. We need preachers. We need proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how do we get laborers? You know where we begin to get laborers? On our knees. Praying to the Lord of the harvest. For what? For laborers, for a harvest that is great, that is white, that is ready. My friend, that's one request you can know that God will answer. If we ask anything according to his will, what's his promise? He will answer. Well, this is his will. <laughs> it is his will that there be more laborers. It is his will that that gospel be preached to every nation. It is his will. If we will but come to him in prayer and cry out, God, open doors of utterance. Let the gospel have free course in the world today. So that's Paul's first request. But notice his second request. And be glorified even as it is with you. So not just for the opportunity that it be preached, but that that gospel be preached in power. That it come in the blessing of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, he wrote earlier to the church in Thessalonica, he said, do you remember when I first came to you? I didn't come to you in word only, but I came to you in power and in the Spirit. You know, we need the hand and power and Spirit of God upon us in our ministries. I worked not so long ago before God called us to ministry. I was a little bit further east of you here over in Temecula area and uh, working there, and I was in sales over there. And you know what? I could learn to sell different things and to make sales and to see my commission check go up. But you know what? You can't sell Jesus. That's a work of God. I mean, I can't make people understand their need. I can't bring conviction of sin. I can't cause them to draw near to God. Now, I can bring them, be the messenger that God blesses and that God uses the instrument that the Spirit of God may use to bring them to that end. But ultimately, it's God that has to work. And it's the Spirit of God that must work through us. And Paul is saying, don't just pray that I have these opportunities to preach the gospel, but pray that when God gives me these opportunities, that I have his blessing, his hand upon me, that these eyes that have been blinded to the truth of Christ and of the gospel, that they'll be unveiled, that they can see the glory of Christ. When you come into these countries like Ukraine, quote-unquote Christian nations, and they've been deceived by this false gospel, a gospel, another gospel that Paul would call it, a gospel of works. When you come into this place, they think, well, I already know about Christ. We're already Christian. Just like Luda said earlier, look, there's the church. We'll look at the cross on the church. We're already Christians here. Well, how do you get them to understand that true essence of what the gospel is and their need for that gospel and their need to bow before that gospel and trust in Jesus Christ? It's a work that only God can do. My friends, if there's any been, ever been a time in our lives, in my lifetime, when we have needed the hand and power of God, especially here in America, it is today. We can come up with methods and different little cute ways to do things, and I'm not against working at different ways to present the gospel, but you know what? It all has to be based on the power and hand of God to make it go. Because without it, it's just going to be empty and nothing's going to be accomplished. So Paul is saying, pray that the word of the Lord would have free course. Pray that it would be glorified. And then thirdly, he says right here, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. So Paul is saying, pray 
that God would preserve us and keep us and watch over us. As you follow Paul through the book of Acts, man, you find him beaten. You find him placed in prison, right? I mean, stoned. I mean, what's going on? Whipped? What's going on with Paul? You know what? He was bringing the gospel to the culture and he was confronting that gospel or that culture with the truth of the gospel, which is calling them to repentance and faith in Christ. And when you confront that culture with that gospel and you're calling them to repentance and faith, you're not always going to be very popular, are you? But you know what? God didn't call us to be popular with our culture. God called us to confront our culture in love with that very gospel. Not all are going to get saved, but they have to hear that message that some will respond that some will come to Christ. You follow Paul through the book of Acts. There's always some that respond to the gospel. He was there in Athens, Greece. He preaches the message. You see where the majority of the group, they hear Paul, they kind of laugh, they mock, he's a fool. You hear another side of another part of the group, they say, well, we'll come back, we'll think about this, we'll hear him again. But then you see that third part. They clung to Paul. Paul, tell us more. Tell us more about this Savior, this one who rose from the dead. Paul, tell us more. There's always going to be some that respond if we will take it in power. But we need to pray for the protection of our missionaries as they take this gospel out to the world. And I just want to encourage you tonight that you have a ministry with your missionaries. You have a part on the team now, God has not called us all to go. God has called some of us to stay. But in staying, we still have a part in world missions. Our part now is to pray. I want to read you a quote right here about prayer. I want you to think about it. Almost everyone believes that prayer is important, but there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is essential. Essential means there are things that will not happen without prayer. So all of us would agree prayer is important. But there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is what? Essential. Essential means what? That there are things that will not happen unless we pray. Now listen, I don't know how prayer works. I can't tell you how the will of God and how he uses prayer to accomplish his will. I can only tell you this. Prayer makes a difference. Essential prayers change things. And your essential prayers for your missionaries will change things. It can open doors. It can glorify the gospel of Christ. It can protect them and preserve them through any persecutions and dangers they may face. Your essential prayers will change things. I want you to think for a moment about Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus 17, Joshua goes down into the valley to do battle with the Amalekites. Remember, he has the sword. He has the nation, the army of Israel down there with him. They're doing hand-to-hand -hand combat. But where was Moses? Moses was up on the hill. Remember, Moses raises his arms up to God, indicating prayer to God, dependence on God. And while Moses' hands are raised up, Joshua's experiencing victory in the valley below. But you remember the story. Moses gets tired. His arms come down. Joshua begins to lose the battle down below. The whole battle changes when Moses' hands come down. And then Aaron and Hur come alongside Moses, help him keep those arms of prayer up to God, dependence of God, crying out to God until the victory was completed down below for Joshua. So here's my question. Where was the victory won? Say, well, Joshua, he won it. I mean, he went down into the valley. He carried the sword. He won the victory that day. Yeah, but really, where was the victory won? And it was one up on the hill, wasn't it? Where Moses was, where Aaron was, where Hur was. And you see, you have missionaries that hear the call of God and they answer that call to go down into the valley to do the hand-to-hand -hand combat. And praise God, they don't, they're not doing it begrudgingly. They see it as an act of God's grace that they're called to go, right? This is God's grace that he's called me to do this and I willingly do this and I'm down here fighting and battling there for the Lord. But for us who are called to stay, what is our part? 
to go up on the hill and to pray essential prayers for them. Essential means there are things that are not going to happen unless we pray. You see, you can impact souls in Ukraine or in Laos or in these other places where you have missionaries around the world. You can impact souls coming to Christ from your very prayers right here in Long Beach. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be wonderful one day to meet souls in heaven and someone come up to you and say, you know what, you've never met me before, but I just want to share with you, you had a part in my salvation. Because one night that missionary was speaking and he had spoke to me a hundred times before. I didn't understand a thing he said, but that night he started speaking and all of a sudden something clicked and I understood I'm a lost sinner before a holy God. Jesus Christ died for me and I, I got on my knees that night and I prayed and I asked Christ to save me. And it was your prayer that God heard that unleashed that grace, that work of God, that showed me my need of Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? Your prayers are required. They are essential. We need essential prayers. And I plead with you tonight, as Paul here pleads for prayer, brethren, pray for us. Julie and I are getting ready to go back over to Ukraine in September. We're going to make further trips in opportunities to preach the gospel, hopefully to meet with more soldiers in hospitals and more groups of people that have uh, been under occupation. I just ask you this evening, please, would you pray for us? Pray for our protection. Pray for open doors of utterance. Pray for the hand and power of God to bring precious souls to Christ for his glory and his praise. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much tonight. Close in prayer as pastor comes. Father, thank you so much tonight for your goodness and grace. Thank you for this church and for the blessing that they've been to us. God, I pray that you would just charge in our hearts uh, just a desire, place it within us to strive together with our missionaries and our prayers to God for them and for your glory, for your prayers, that your praise, that your work would be completed in our lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.